Hello. Uh, this is the Black TV Show podcast. I am your host, Miriam. Uh, I have Shawnee here with me. How are you? Hi, I've missed being on here for so long. Oh my God, it feels so good to be back. I'm well and I'm just happy to be here. How are you? Same. It's It's been a long time. It's I, Technically, I think it's been five months, which is, I think, the longest time that we haven't recorded yeah. together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as I said in the last episode, I said that, you know, we're just going to record whenever we're available. I, I have I kind of had to stop doing the set schedule uh, mm-hmm. just because it was interfering w- with, I guess, m- m- my life in in general so mm-hmm. but we're gonna today talk about a different world season three episode 12 here's to old friends uh this episode aired january 11th in 1990 and the episode uh mostly is about Dwayne's friend comes to visit and tries to convince him to transfer oh and i also want to mention uh this episode was written by Th- uh, thad Mun- munford which we've mentioned <laughs> him before we've the guy before. who did not like Lisa. And then this episode was not directed by Debbie Allen. It was directed by and uh, I'm going to probably say her name wrong. Uh, Nima Baronet. Baronet, I think. I don't know. But, oh, oh, Nina Barnett. Yeah. Um, but uh, she has done a lot of directing mm-hmm. um, through her career. Um, she did What's Happening Now. She's going to be doing seven other episodes of A Different World. She did six episodes of The Cosby Show, um, The Sinbad Show, the, the the one random show that we've never watched, The Cosby Mysteries. She's directed two episodes of that. And then uh, Woman Thou Art Law, uh, Loosed. I haven't seen that one, but... Um, uh, T.D. Jakes? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. The only one that did it, yeah. Woman Thou Art Loosed, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Queen Sugar, Being Mary Jane, Love oh. Is... Luke Cage, Ambitions, Raising Dion, Black Lightning, Genius, Harlem, Naomi, Reasonable Doubt, Grand Crew. So she hasn't she hasn't stopped working. And Grand Crew, okay, yeah, I like her work there because I've I've recently gotten into Grand Crew. I thought it was going to annoy me because as much as I do like Nicole Byer, sometimes I just have to mentally prepare myself for her. She got some good credits. Work, yeah. So she's been working even. Like after a different, uh, different world. Oh yeah, and she also made history as the first African American woman to direct a major network television, uh, TV sitcom. So work, black girl yeah. magic. Yeah. So basically, so I want to start off with uh, the minor storyline that I didn't care about this <laughs> this part of the episode with having Mr. Gaines and Colonel Taylor go to this reunion. Um, <laughs> like they go off for the weekend. It was weird <laughs> to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the cheese, cheese. I don't know how to say it. Something regional servicemen's reunion. Chesapeake, um, I think. What is that the name of their like military? Uh, so Chesapeake is the area that they're in. Chesapeake is a, uh, a city in Virginia. But anyways, they're there. Um, they end up being in a car accident. Uh, thanks to Mr. Gaines. Some random sergeant comes and recognizes Mr. Gaines, you know, and the fact that Mr. Gaines lost all his hair, which is normal <laughs> with aging, um, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, this sergeant guy was annoying. Very much so. Um, but I think the funniest part 
of this entire storyline is that Mr. Gaines is like looking in a mirror. <laughs> this man is essentially Mr. Gaines. He yeah. he does a lot of talking. He's given a lot of advice, solicited and, and unsolicited. Shows or kind of speaks to what we love the most about Mr. Gaines. Because Mr. Gaines is, for one, the typical elder um, in a Black setting. Um, he's he's the type of person that is, you know, he's everybody's dad, grandfather, uncle. Uh, he's, he's a mentor. He's a best friend. Like, we see who he is to so many characters. But uh, this one Sergeant Carruthers showed the one part of Mr. Gaines that people might feel like they could do away with or kind of like, a, uh, I wish it wasn't like this as much. But he was, but I can say that um, Mr. Gaines could never annoy me uh, for one. But if he were to annoy me, I do not think it would be to the degree of Mr. Carruthers. Yeah, so the, and at the same time, Colonel Taylor recognizes someone from you know back when they were in the military uh mm -hmm. a woman named a uh, carol is it dylan Cara yeah dylan. And, then dylan. She, and then and then she's now Kara dylan garrison mm -hmm. and then um and so they reunite and then you know they found out that they married other people and then mm -hmm. they're both divorced and then um she just i'm not gonna lie <laughs> by the end of the episode she was weird <laughs> crazy oh wait i feel like there are so many tv shows with these with similar storylines to where there's always a reunion between two people and um and oh goodness gracious one line that colonel taylor did make in this episode was he said that he kind of saw her as the one that got away got away yeah and it's always a reunion of the one who got away and then they get to know this person and it's not exactly what they thought it was. It's always something where one of them ends up being, I don't want to use crazy. As I, thought you, I, I was about to say you were going to say crazy. <laughs> I really want to use crazy, but at the same time, I want to be sensitive. But like, you, you always just find something that is off with the other person. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you'll be lucky enough to find that both of these people have issues. Well, not to find, but you 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 see that both of these people have issues. This lady started off with, um, I was married and we got divorced, and he ran off with the secretary or whoever. The, the divorce lawyer. Right, the divorce lawyer. Then it goes from there to basically like the single mom trope, which I'm I'm not mad at because I am a child of a single mother, but that escalate y'all could have left it at she was left to raise the child without the daddy, but then you start going into this lady calling psychics and uh, if she work out this time then I'm gonna refer her to my friend who do this that and the third because like girl a psychic uh uh. <laughs> We've gone too far. 
Colonel Taylor, I feel, was being very reasonable uh, in their conversation um, when she talked about uh, quitting smoking cigarettes and things of that nature. Um, And the way that she reacted, mm, and I'm really going to do my best to be sensitive in how I word this. Of course, we know that uh, back in the day, and especially during the time that a different world is in, a lot of things that flew then could not fly now and vice versa. So let's start with the conversation that, that they were having regarding quitting smoking. He said to her, what, what helped me was quitting cold turkey. And didn't I not try that? That's the, her first response was, don't you think I tried that? Girl, he didn't say to you, you need to go turkey. Go cold turkey. What he said to you was, I relate to you having a hard time with quitting smoking. Or I relate to where I've been in a position where I smoke cigarettes. I recognize that I don't want to smoke cigarettes anymore. And that they do not satisfy me in the way that they once did. And so the quickest way for me to shake doing this is to just stop altogether. It was not a personal attack. And and then uh, it, it's just as the conversation continued to carry, it just got worse. And things just began, began to go downhill. And it reminded me kind of like how today is. You almost got to watch what you say, how you say it, who you say it to, and provide a whole uh, essay as to why you feel the way that you feel, why you think the way that you think and then you gotta write a whole separate paper as to why in this moment you chose to say it it made my head hurt (laughs) watching Mm -hmm. that whole conversation just really made my head hurt and it really got me to question it well not really questioning but I guess it kind of um it kind of helped me come to a realization that you know there are really people out here whose minds work similarly because that conversation uh i was able to recall a few conversations that i've been a part of where i was on both sides of the spectrum meaning i was on the receiving end of the conversation and and i felt personally attacked and then i would later later down the road figure out that i wasn't being personally attacked and then there was the times where I was Colonel Taylor when I was offering advice and it was viewed as something that it was not. So, yeah, my head was definitely hurting after that conversation. Um, I could do away with watching that portion of the show. <laughs> yeah, I think this was all a filler. I just, I don't know, I just, it was like, it didn't make sense to me. I was, I'm like, why are we watching this? I think so. So did did this uh, at least when you were watching and you see how the set was set up? Did you get a feeling of that episode, that Thanksgiving episode with Kim and Whitley? Oh yeah, they might have used the same set, and they just changed it around. And I feel like if they would have had something like that element of Whitley singing on stage Mm -hmm. I think it would have livened up 
that storyline or at least make at least it would have been a visual well, improvement well this was a, a reunion that involved the kids you know well so. yeah not the kids but but you know maybe carol could have been a lounge singer or or one of them women in there could have been a lounge singer it, you probably could have you know taken it back to you know making them feel like they were there not really the traumatic events that took place because this is korea we're talking about yeah, that people were doing some fighting in. Um, so no, we don't want to go back to that. But some portion of that to every person in that room, there was you know good old days, and mm-hmm. we hear it throughout the show from Mr. Gaines, from Colonel Taylor. Um, well, mainly that's that's who we would hear it from, but Mr. Gaines. Mainly because, you know, Mr. Gaines was a historian of sorts. Mm -hmm. And he was the type of person who would would educate from, I'll say from a personal perspective. You know, Mr. Gaines never really came to you like a teacher because he wasn't a teacher. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he, He could only come to you. He could only approach you like a father because he had a son or like, like a man who's, who's already lived life. Because if we compare the timelines, I I guess the fictional timeline and the realistic timeline, both of them match up to the age of Lou Myers (laughs) and not Mr. Gaines. (laughs) So, um, he, the the room that he had to work with, he worked really well. Yeah. And I feel like if they would have brought... Well, you know what? I'll say this. I'll say that they made up for it in season six, and I'll leave it at that. And so that's the B storyline of this mm-hmm. episode. But the main one is what I mentioned. Uh, Dwayne's friend comes for a visit and tries to convince him to transfer mm-hmm. to a non-HBCU uh, college. Um, DWI Lord. Yeah. So we start off with um, the Dwayne, Ron, and Milton um, playing basketball. You know, Dwayne loses. Um, you know, um, we find out uh, Milton is Dwayne's childhood friend from yep. from Penn. Um, and you know, he got a Wall Street job. And uh, one year and a half later, he's the director of Mergers Acquisitions. <laughs> yes, Acquisitions. Yeah, so he's he's doing well for himself. And then now they they end up going to Dwayne and Ron's place. Um and then um this is when the the rest of the group is there and you know, they talk, they ask questions about like what was Dwayne like as a kid, you know, um you know, Dwayne had a big head. Um and um yeah, so it's and then they they talk about, you know, his uh like the f- first time he, I don't know if it's his first time kissing a girl, but um, yeah, that w- that was unclear. Um, that he kind of told the story as if this was Dwayne's first kiss. Yeah, and then they got stuck. It was really just his first embarrassing the- moment. <laughs> yeah, got stuck in the locker and had to be pried out by the jaws of life. My problem is I try to make logic out of fiction. <laughs> when he talked about that. It really got me to thinking, how big were these lockers? Yeah, because they're in seventh grade. 
<laughs> you're in the seventh grade and I know that, you know, no school is created equal as far as, you know, the functionality of it are like all these schools. Yes. The, the one thing that y'all got in common is education and curriculum and barely that. But I mean, the, the cosmetics of it all, you every school is not going to have the same kind of lockers. But the lockers I grew up with, uh, <laughs> um, they they seem like the the most realistic, uh, lockers that that they were talking about in this episode. And even then, these lockers were very much skinny. I I recall daily stuffing my book bag into my locker sideways. <laughs> I don't I don't believe that there was ever a day that I was able to easily put my book back in my locker on that. hook. Like I had to reserve that hook on the inside for my jacket. I, I, I was really trying to put my book bag and my jacket on there and it just wasn't working. It eventually got to the point where I had to start carrying my book bag around glass. Then they started making life a little difficult with that but we're not going to go into that um but yeah how big are these lockers and then i got to thinking about like well just how tall was this girl he was kissing mm -hmm. and then i know both of y'all got to be twigs to be standing in the locker together like me personally i think i would have just been better off or i think i would have rather chose to get caught in the locker room I don't think I wanted the embarrassment of getting caught in the locker. It's bad enough that I'm getting picked up and I'm getting kissed. And that that's being put on display. Because mm -hmm. this is but, about to be a long ride home. Yeah, but he says he hasn't had a kiss like that since then. And I like how Whitley's like, are you sure about that? See, it was it was a lot of shade in this. Just in this scene alone, for mm -hmm. one, when Ron opened his mouth and Milton cut him off, yeah, I peeped it immediately. I was like, "Oh no, you're about you about to get on my nerves," mm -hmm. Be oh. because um, well, and I also saw it in Ron, his facial disposition. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, I would have done the same thing. I probably would have spoke up. I probably or I probably would have continued talking." Like when I when I first met Dwayne and I got cut off, we were freshmen at Hillman, and we went to a party. Like, who do you think you are? And you in my house? Oh no! Oh no! But I have to salute Ron for keeping it cool. Mm hmm. And um, speaking of Ron, he starts making a a joke about Morris Day, and apparently it wasn't funny. And everyone was like, "Okay, hey, I gotta go." It it wasn't. See, he needed something to tie that around. Because, well, for one, you would have to know who Morris Day was. Or is, rather, because he's still living. Um, Morris Day is, uh, he's a singer. And by this point, I'm sure you can, uh, he could be called a composer and a producer. Um, but worked alongside, he, uh, he was in the, he's part of a band called The Time, Morris Day and The Time. That's what they were, they were called. Um, I'm 
partial to one of their songs. No, two of their songs. One of them is The Bird, and the other one is 777-9311. When you have time, you can listen to those songs and get your groove on. 777-9311. What, whose number is that? The... Uh, it's, a, it's a created phone number. Um, oh. The ba- But that's the base of the song. It, it's how they're singing it. So... Uh, the storyline of it is he meets this girl that he finds attractive and she finds him attractive too. One of them asks for each other's phone number. I think, I don't remember whose phone number it is. I'm meaning, I don't know if it's the guy or the girls, but the whole song is seven, 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 93, 11. And it's just the, the way that the beat drop. The, I don't know that that's the dancey part of the song. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it just is. Um, but uh, he, he also worked closely with Prince. Mm. Um, and it's all it's almost kind of hard to tell who who was inspired by whom because Morris and Prince dance, not dance, dressed the same. Yeah, I can tell. Very much androgynous, uh, androgynistic, rather. They're similar in a way where you might think they're gay, but they very much like women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the joke that Ron was trying to tell, he, if he would have brought it on home with something like, um, I tried to tell her that well, I told her that I was that he was a talent scout for Morris Day at the time that I was watching this. I had I had the the completion of it in my mind because I was like, okay, yeah, I would have walked away from this too. Um, but you know, if, if if you're a type of person who who can pick up on uh, on wit, if you're somebody who can be quick with your responses. And mainly, if you're fluent in sarcasm, you would have been able to move that conversation along. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least recognize that what was said was really lame, but we moved past that. We didn't get the moving past. <laughs> it, they just cut it off right there. And it just kept making a bad case for Ron. Just yeah. totally working against him. So yeah, everyone leaves. And then we're back at the apartment. So like them, they're all cleaning up. And um, Milton tells Dwayne, uh, like asks about, you know, Whitley and says, mm-hmm. you know, like she is a winner. You know, I can see a future engineer definitely make it to CEO with her on his arm. Um, and at this point, they're they're not together. So he's like, you know, she's just a friend, you know. Um, yeah, and I think he was only basing that off of how she looks. Oh, yes. Because, well, I was just about to say it's the 80s, not anymore. Um, oh, it's the 90s. It's, it's the 90s. But, and, and I guess we, we still do it now where, you know, we can look at somebody and, and create a whole life for this person. And mm-hmm. then the reality could be totally different. Um, because he didn't know Whitley from a can of paint. He just saw how she dressed and how she carried herself, which are 
important factors that are, or they are supportive factors, but they are not main factors. Mm-hmm. You know, because Willie could have been a complete dummy <laughs> with good with good style. Yeah. And you going around talking about a CEO being a winner. Like, no. What? Shut up. Yeah. And so at this point, Ron leaves. And then Milton starts asking. So, um, like, how are you with Ron? Like, are you guys, like, friends? Are you guys, like, close? And, you know, Dwayne's like, yeah, he's been my, like, my homeboy since freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at this point, this is when Milton advises him, saying, like, you kind of need to drop him. And you might need to go to a different college, um, uh, specifically go to Penn instead of Hillman. And Dwayne's like, no, like I chose to be here. I like it's it's not that I didn't get accepted somewhere else. He right. chose, you know, he chose Hillman. I've had this conversation a few times um, over over the years, and uh, I really sound old when I say that. Y'all, I'm only 30, so please don't read too deeply into into what I'm saying. But I have been in conversations. They're kind of the traditional HBCU versus PWI conversations. And back when I was teaching, it wasn't necessarily an issue uh, for me in in the space that I was teaching in because a lot of my colleagues at the time were HBCU educated. So, of course, we were always going to ride with HBCU education uh, over PWI. But we never negated what PWIs can do. Um, also, I mean, I I was considering one PWI for school. Um, I, I grew up wanting to go to an HBCU. But then when I learned about Ball State University, which is in Indiana, um, and I visited, I wanted to go immediately, mainly because of me being a radio and TV uh, broadcast major and their media center was to die for. Mm-hmm. And this was, oh, this was what, 12 years ago? So I can only imagine the progression that they've made now. But I wanted to be a part of that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get into the school. So in the meantime, I was like, well... You know, it, they weren't my first choice. I mean, if they were to say, yeah, you're in, then yeah, I would have went. But I truly desired to attend an HBCU. In high school, I've had, I had the conversation with some teachers about choosing an HBCU versus a PWI. I like to think that they initially asked me or asked all of us who were attending. Uh, I like to think that they were that they started the conversation with us just so that we knew that our actual reason and be behind going to these schools and us not just going to a school because it sounded cool or because we were trying to be away from family. But the conversation would shift from make sure you know what you're getting into to almost BLM versus ALM. At least that's the, the air that it gave. And this is before BLM was big. Um, and the com- but the, the only thing that uh, that I can say, the conversations would kind of leave me drained 
in a sense where I was tired of having to have this conversation. Um, I didn't like the fact that I, that I had to have the conversation. Um, because to me, it was always pretty clear cut. But I think the most draining part of it was in the back of my mind, am I dealing with someone who just does not understand? Or am I dealing with someone who just does not want to understand? And I think my teachers were kind of, I think they realized that they were having a conversation that was considered to be thin ice. Um, I think they knew that they possibly could hear a response that they were not prepared to hear. But it was exhausting. It was, I hate to put it this way, but it, it felt like they were asking us, are you going to an HBCU because it's a school full of black people? To which one answer would be duh. <laughs> but the yeah. other answer would be, um, why does it matter? You know, and then they, when I said that they were trying to choose their words wisely, um, I think they kind of all felt and wanted to say that going to an HBCU kind of provides a false sense of reality. That's what he said, right? <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think my teachers were probably in limbo because specifically with with my generation, uh, I really sound old saying this, with my sector of humanity, let's say that, I, I come from a line of people who, I like to say that we're in purgatory. Part of us come from older parents who may or may not have gotten the opportunity to attend college, let alone an HBCU. And I come from a line of people or where Blackness really, like the preservation of Blackness is a must. It was important that we not only got an education, but also recognized that college is beyond the books. Mm -hmm. And you know what? No, I think I found a way to put it, to put it simply, really. Um, to put it simply, an HBCU was not created out of spite. It was created because of spite. <laughs> And I think that's where the ball was dropped amongst the people that I was having these conversations with. I I want to say that in one of the conversations when I was a senior, one of my classmates, I think it was one of my classmates who might have said this. And I'm going to go ahead and say who I think it was that said it because she was more more than likely the person I was going to say it. My my, uh, I graduated with a girl, Keela. We were really, uh, really close. I think it was Keela who was the one that was telling our teachers, like, "Hey, HBCUs are not created for us to feel like we better than y'all." 
And even if we, if they were created for us to feel better than y'all, what the hell do you think racism is? But, um, but I, I think, I think Keela read them their rights, <laughs> but by explaining to them about how HBCUs were not created in the way that they are trying to say that they, that they were created for. Milton is doing a lot of what black people wish other black people wouldn't do. Um, it, it is okay for you to choose to go to a PWI and get a bomb education and have the greatest college experience. You can do all of that without putting down HBCUs. Um, I do not believe that HBCUs create a false sense of reality, especially because by the time I started attending my HBCU, which is the Alabama State University, where when we teach class, the world takes note. There were plenty of white people or non-black people that were there. Now, we knew the reason why. I mean, more, more than likely they were there because of sports. Um, at least that's what happened when I was away at school. Anybody who was not black, they were there on an academic scholarship, except for one. And I mean one girl. I believe Julie truly just wanted to be away from home. Julie grew up in, in Washington. So Julie wanted to be away from home. She wanted to find new scenery and wanted to go to school that was also lit and also go to a school that was for her major. I can't remember what her major was, but Julie also thrived at the school and it was very visible that she thrived. Yeah. Milton is, is doing that thing that, uh, that will, that would incline some of us to call him an uncle Tom or a snowflake, you know, because he refuses to see a, any other point of view outside of his own. Especially when it comes down to education. And I have to say that I'm proud of Dwayne for how he held his his stance in the moment. I, I hate it. My heart hurt for him when he was in the deep thought. Uh, when, when Melvin told him, not Melvin, when Milton told him to drop Ron. Um, I hate that he had to, that he felt that he had to go through, you know, asking different people, hey, what you think about Ron and the dynamic between us? You know? Um, yeah, when he talked to Whitley about that, yeah. Because you were very clear on your position with Ron prior to Milton being here. You knew how Ron was as a freshman, as a sophomore, and, and eventually we see we see that you you find out who Ron is and how Ron is as the years come. And... Thankfully enough, we see a change in Ron. Um, but I feel as though I feel Milton overstepped his boundaries. I I absolutely feel that way, and his words were not needed. He still could have got his point across. He I, I feel like if if he would have left it at Penn has Penn seems to have more opportunities than Hillman. But also, yeah, I'm not about to fight with you about my school. I'm already in the school. Yeah. 
And I'm not paying my own tuition. If you got so much to say about where I'm going, pay for me to go to Penn. Or get one of your rich friends that you hang out with to give me a scholarship. And I'm sure yeah. he could have pulled those strings. I'm yeah, sure if Dwayne, Dwayne would have pulled his card, it would have gone through successfully. Because, mm -hmm, you know, Milton's friends uh, that he went to college with are sons of CEOs. Sons you know? of CEOs. And, and you become yeah. the best with being the best. Yeah. And it's like, are you serious? It's almost like like Milton just totally forgot that he's black. Mm -hmm. Like you say all of these words, you got to be the best. You got to you become the best by being with the best. And all my friends are sons of CEOs. These are the same sons of CEOs who can buy buildings on campus, which eventually buys their kids diplomas, all of that. And, and you, you say all of this. And then in the same breath. Talk about how you came from nothing in New York. This is the this is the same guy who considered Ron a bougie dude. Or what he called a bourgeois brother trying to be down. First of all, you enunciated that entire conversation that entire sentence. In casual conversation, more often than not, you are not going to hear the word bourgeois. <laughs> These mouths, they're going to say bougie. Mm -hmm. And then trying to be down. Are you, do you hear yourself, sir? Do you? No, see, mm -mm, mm -mm. I, I couldn't have been present for that. Mm -hmm. I could not have been present for that. And, and it just, it just feels anti-black. <laughs> yeah, because he says everyone's black. Everybody's equal. That's not the real world, apparently. And how do you know that everybody was equal on that campus? And then it did get me to thinking though. I was like, damn, everybody is black. For me, that's perfect. <laughs> I've spent too much of my academic career in a mixed setting. It's not a problem. Like, yes, I needed to be in a mixed setting. Um I I needed to uh to be in other spaces just for the whole knowledge that there is not one ethnicity on this mm -hmm. planet. Um, not necessarily to, you know, know how to act around white people or know how to act around. You know, it was because if I happen to see that you don't look like me and I got questions, you know, we, we just about to nip this in the butt. I felt the best in my educational career when I went away to an HBCU. When I saw that 85% of the faces and skin tones were close to mine, that empowered me. That brought me joy. And the icing on the cake was that my school is in the heart of the civil rights capital. All of that was, it, it was just, it was full circle for me. I don't like how Milton is, is so out of touch. You know, he t he tells Dwayne, like, you know, Ron's, you know, a dead weight for you. And Dwayne's like, no, Ron's nobody's dead weight. Um, and then at this point, Ron comes and says, there's a wet t-shirt concert commencing as we speak. Do you guys want to go? And they're like, no. But that still does not qualify him as dead weight. I mean, no, it didn't help his case. <laughs> it very well did not help the case. But no, 
it, it he Milton was still wrong. Um, and even if Ron were to be considered dead weight, how does that directly affect you? Because ultimately the decision is Dwayne's to be Ron's friend. I feel like he should have asked the right questions. He should have asked things like, you know, what what was it that formed the friendship between you two? No, because then I sound like I'm trying to help Melvin's case or I'm or I'm trying to help. It it sounds like I'm trying to to find reasons uh that Mel that Milton should be Jesus Christ this man, uh, <laughs> it just made me feel like I'm trying to help his case and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying if if you're gonna be a jerk, do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Have all your bases covered. You didn't have all your bases covered. You were just you were coming from a personal standpoint. What it really sounded like was that you were jealous of Ron. It sounded as if. Um, your best friend found another best friend and you didn't see where, where there was room for you. So because you didn't see, you didn't see room for you to fit in, you did what you could to stand out. And in your, uh, actions to stand out, you felt like you had to put everybody else down because then that made you rise to the top. Yeah. Which, no, you should never have to put somebody down for you, for you to be up. It should never be that way. That's big hater energy. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden Ron has this financial business idea for Milton. What is it? He, he's trying to have a... Um, Dinner man we deliver. Yeah, but with ice but ice cream cart. With ice cream carts. <laughs> yeah. And Dwayne, uh, after, um, after Milton leaves, Dwayne was like, how are you able to do this? This is a dumb idea. And he's like, I haven't figured it out yet. And then he, have you ever had it figured out? That whole conversation, Ron handled it better than I would have. Because, I mean, he did recognize the issue for what it is, which was you get around Milton and all of a sudden you start thinking differently. If I'm being honest, Dwayne hasn't always been a good friend to Ron. And Ron has been more of a better friend to Dwayne. But (laughs) we ain't got to go there. I feel like as smart as Dwayne is, Something should have went off on in, in his head to be like, okay, no. This is not cool. This is not it. This is still my friend. If you were going to rag on this man, or or if you had all the answers, why didn't you give it to him? That's supposed to be your friend, and he's coming to you with a business proposal. And, I mean, one, if I were Ron, I wouldn't have been talking to Milton about no financial nothing, because... I would have I would have been holding on to to the grudge from when he cut me off talking. At that like from there I don't even want to speak to you. If you're so much of a genius and if you know so much as to what what can work and what will not work then why didn't you spend the time that you were spending calling me dumb and dead weight? You why why couldn't you repurpose that time and tell me, "Hey, Rather than getting an ice cream truck to warm up food, why not cook out of the house and deliver to campus? Why not have them call the house 
Tell us what they want. Or why not come up with a menu? Like, like there, there are different ways that, that Dwayne could have gone about holding this conversation with, with Ron. And he chose not to because he was all in his feelings because of Milton. Which really, the moral of the story is there. Don't let nobody else alter what you... Have your own man. And stand on what you say. Mm -hmm. Stand on how you feel. Because what he going to do? He going to fight you? He going to beat you up? I'm not your friend no more. Are you serious? Ain't no way. I don't, I don't care how, how dumb somebody might think my friend is. I, and I have friends who have, dumb, dumb, who have done dumb shit across the board. And I've been the friend that's, that's done the dummy. There's no way, like, uh, if we are friends, what TikTok say? If we locked in, ain't no switching up. If you were, if if you, <laughs> if you were slow when we was friends, then I knew that you were slow. <laughs> like, I befriended, I befriended a slow person, if that's the case, and I knew what I was dealing with at the time. There's nothing that anybody can say or do that's one gonna make me forget. And two, that's gonna make me stop. Unless you do something to me personally that was not friend-like, or you know anything that's grounds for dropping a friendship. But outside of that, no. And that that was really, yeah. Dwayne was tripping, and I applaud Ron for not going across his nose because I would have been coming for the jugular. And uh, so now uh, Dwayne's tutoring Whitley, uh, and at this point Whitley's like, like I need an extension. I'm not getting any of this math stuff. And for once, Dwayne's like, yeah, you should ask for an extension. And I was like, what? I'm like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, but he also wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and I like how she was like, I've asked so many, uh, so much extensions that um, she mentions Millie Vanilli, like. Oh God! Yeah, he was like, "You got more extensions than Milli Vanilli." That's... What, what? What's with that though? Because they both they... have long hair. Oh, the hair! Oh my yeah, God! They, they they got... So, uh, extensions. I'm gonna say this just because I'm me, and people can take it how they how they want it. Extensions is white for weave. Milli Vanilli, both of them. Um, they had very long braids. Mm-hmm. With beads and stuff all up and through them. And of course, you know, you got to use weave in order to uh, to do long braids. So, yeah, that was their trademark. The trademark was was their long braids. Yeah. So then uh, and then that's when we already talked about. But Dwayne asks Whitley, like her opinion about oh, yeah. um, Ron. And, uh, she, she, um, you know, she says uh, he's silly, obnoxious, boring, a, a bit crude. And then, um, and he mentions, he's like, you didn't use the words stupid or dead weight. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then she's like, if, if he was stupid, you wouldn't got, get accepted to the school, which is true. This is very true. Mm -hmm. Because there um, are a lot of low GPAs. And now low GPAs can come from, uh, it can come from productivity or lack thereof. Or it can come from, you know, real, real academic challenges. Mm -hmm. um, 
And a lot of people, they view, I mean, it's easy to view a 2.0 as easy because it's a C average. Um, but a lot of times we don't consider what it, what it takes for a lot of people to get there when this man used the word stupid, you know, or, or when he used dumb, you know, things like that to, to define Ron. It's just, first of all, it's a pearl clutcher. It hurt me to hear that. Cause that's a harsh word to use, but Willie was completely correct. Like colleges, one thing about colleges, they, they don't just take anybody. You got to come with something. Even when you come with nothing. If you come with nothing, they're going to say, we're going to give you something to go through. Then you can spin the block. So if you came here without, without a high school diploma, okay, we're going to tell you how you can get your GED. Or we're going to help you get your GED. Then it's, oh, you got your GED? Okay, cool. So because we have no academic basis for you, we don't know what you're mentally, what, what you're academically capable of. Let's mm -hmm. take this, let's have you take this test and see what all you understand. Then you take the test and depending upon your results, is that that's how they give you your academic plan. All in all, you still have to have the knowledge to be able to do any of these things. Because I mean, there is there is a point where colleges will say, "Hey, you're you're not getting in." Yeah, you know, you didn't meet the requirements or whatever. That for there are only 107 HBCUs. So if the number for HBCUs is 107, imagine for for the rest of these schools. Be for real. <laughs> yeah. Be for real. Um, and and at this point, this is when Dwayne asks, like, you know, the real question being, like, have you ever thought of going to a different college? And um, mm -hmm. and I love, love it's like, I'm doing my best I can with the math homework. I, I low-key felt that, too. Um, I've been I've been in her position. <laughs> <laughs> with somebody say, I'm damn, I got to choose the school, right? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I've been I've been there with jobs. I'm like, maybe I need to find me another job. Or I've yeah. had other people say like, yeah, can consider. It was I had got fired from a job, and it was because like he was all like, yeah, this isn't working out. Like, damn, why you gotta be like that with me? Whitley's speech really it touched me. Mm -hmm. What she yeah, sure. what she said about her her journey yeah she went to georgetown or she got accepted to georgetown um but turned it down um even though her guidance counselor threw a hissy fit um like like why would she not take um georgetown but uh, or limit herself by going to hillman mm -hmm. um and it's because you know she has family relationship that have gone to an hbcu you know um I know. I like. I wish you know in Canada we had HBCUs because I would so go to one. Um, like I feel like it's it's more of like a community. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. um, I don't know what's I don't know what it's like with the colleges, um, especially the Ivy League schools. I know those are very expensive, but um, I just feel like I didn't belong in in, in the university I went to. Like they're mm -hmm. only. I, I feel like they were just trying to get my money. Like mm. you know what I mean. Like. 
like when I'm struggling, it was harder to have someone help me out. Um, you know, obviously I had friends that can help me out with stuff, but, but like figuring out my path, like there, there, those guidance counselors were not helpful in a way. That first of all, that's very real. Yeah. What, um, the experience that you had when you were in college, you are not the only student to have gone through that. When I went away to school. <laughs> I learned that a lot of transfers take place freshman year. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom even asked me, uh, I want to say maybe a month in, she asked me, did I feel comfortable with my decision to be at the school? And I told her, yeah. I said, yeah, you know, this does feel like home. I did a college tour of Alabama State when I was a junior in high school. And now it might not have helped that I had a cousin that attended and it may not have helped that. Um, so, so, you know, junior year is a, is a very crucial year. Um, at least in the States, um, junior year is crucial. It's the year where you take your, uh, your ACT test and your SATs and, things of that nature, anything that is college readiness, college preparedness, it's your junior year of school. Um, so it didn't help that I was just ready to go and I was ready to be out. My mom did ask me, so she asked me like three months in, no, a month into the semester. And then she would ask me periodically. And then we had a deep conversation when I came home from my first semester. And she was like, you know, so are are you really sure that that you made the right decision? And I would tell her, you know, so far, yes, I do feel that way. And she was only asking me because if I did not feel like I was at the right school, if if I didn't feel comfortable, you know, then. I would just have to, you know, be on my P's and Q's for the next semester so that then if I wanted to start looking at another school, they would have something to look at and they would have something to that would incline them to accept me into their school. You know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't go to another HBCU or anything like that. I didn't finish at Alabama State, um, but I also didn't go to another HBCU. Whitley's uh, Whitley's speech or. Before I get there, what you said, your feelings, your experience is important. And I wish that a lot of more people would speak up on that Mm -hmm. Um, because there's also like this stigma where like uh, school hopping and all that. It's almost like you're you're not serious. You're not bogging down, buckling down rather to focus or you're not doing this long enough to focus on your career. But what I can say is my favorite part of being at an HBCU was that I did feel like I found a community. Um, I have friendships that I know are going to last me till death. And those friendships are flourishing even now. Some of these friends, um, we don't talk on the phone or text all the time. Most of our conversations may take place on Facebook. If one of them call me and say, hey, I need you to book a flight. I'm gone. If I say to them, hey, 
serious stuff, man. I could lose my mama today. And I know who going to be on the plane and here tomorrow. I could lose everything I got today and I know who I could go with. It, that, that's the part that I mean that college is beyond books. College is also about finding your tribe, finding like-minded individuals who you feel like you could carry, you can go through life with. It's also about making connections. For example, have you ever been in a position where you need a service done or uh you need to go somewhere or you need some information. Let's say you go to your parents and say, hey, I need to find you go to one person to say that you need something done or that you need to find something. And then it's like, oh, well, I got a friend who do this and I got a friend that do that. That's that's what college was like for me. Uh, and even now, I think that that's the best part of having been at school. If I am anywhere, <laughs> I can find somebody that I went to school with who can help me with anything. I can, if I find myself in Atlanta and I need my hair done, somebody, if, if they can't do it, they know somebody who can. Uh, staying on Atlanta, if I needed an outfit made, my friend Kamaria can make me an outfit. If I went to Alabama, and needed somewhere to stay. My friend Adrian is like, hey, where you at? Mm -hmm. If I go down to New Orleans, for me just going to New Orleans all together, my friend Nia is on it. If I had a kid and was like, all right, let me send my kid somewhere for the summer. I have plenty of options. If I, sent, if I had a kid and sent my kid anywhere to any college, I know somebody that lived there. I could call somebody and say, hey, my baby is at this school. And my baby got a village down there. That, and that's what it is, too. They become the village. Some of, some of my college friends have kids. And I'm part of the village. Mm -hmm. I have a friend now who, for the most part, she's joking about it. But one day she's going she gonna to take it seriously. And she's going to end up sending her kids up here. <laughs> for me to, to be watching her kids for three months. And, and that, that's the beauty of it. For it to be an HBCU, it's because you know the history of HBCUs and, and why they were created. And then you see the, the history being lived out. You see the tradition being lived out. It, it, to me, it feels like the tradition of a PWI is, you know, it, it doesn't go beyond the football games or it doesn't go beyond, um, I don't know, Christmas cards and green bean casserole. I sound really shady and I'm sorry, but I got to get my point across. But at an HBCU, you, you, you come out with so much more. You come out with, like, like from a PWI, yes, you'll have connections. In higher up places, maybe. Yes, you'll have your diploma, but that, that's about it. At, at an HBCU, you can end up at, some, at somebody's wedding that you haven't seen in eons. You can, and, and then you go to this wedding and you see everybody. 
that you haven't seen since you were 18, 19 years old. And it feels as if time has not passed. There are, you, you're able to reminisce about small stuff. Like, uh, for example, um, Alabama State has a building called the Acadome. The Acadome is where um, convocations, graduations, basketball games, and like homecoming concerts and stuff took place. That uh, the Acadome has some stairs on the outside. It's like two or three la- uh, levels of stairs. That was a hot spot for a lot of people on campus. We would just be hanging out, just enjoying. We we not causing no trouble, none of that. The only time that we had to move from the space was when the police said, "All right, you know, time is here." I mean, because. I've been outside at the Acadome, and sorry, mom, if you hear this, I've been outside of the Acadome till about five, six in the morning. And mm-hmm. once we got moved off of the Acadome steps, we went straight into the cafeteria. And these same people that I was just on the steps with were carrying the conversation from the Acadome to the cafeteria. And now we have a good blocked off five to 10 tables full of us having conversations. Mm-hmm. That were just taking place. You you get a sense beyond community. It's family. I will always ride hard for attending an HBCU quicker than I would a PWI. Simply because you go away to an HBCU and you find your family. I, I have never heard. And I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. But I have never heard of anyone going away to an HBCU and one, not liking it. And two, not having a sense of friendship, family, whatever. I I like to believe that that just about every HBCU student has the same type type of experience. The only difference may be in how the experience is executed. What you're saying uh, ties into what Willie says, you know, you can go to any, uh, you can go to school anywhere, but no school will love you uh, or teach you to love yourself and know yourself like Hellman or like any other HBCU. Or like any other HBCU. And that is, that's correct. That is Mm -hmm. the truest fact of of an HBCU that I can ever speak. And it, it even, it grows to, it, it starts out with you attending an HBCU altogether. You know, now the subheading of that would be like, so I went to Alabama State. And then if I see somebody from Alabama A&M, <laughs> those schools are rivals. <laughs> uh, they, play, um, they play a football game called the Magic City Classic every year. Um, they've had plenty of viral moments where uh, the, the shenanigans that take place before the game um, specifically for Magic City Classic, Alabama and A&M, their mascot is the Bulldogs. Alabama State always has a bulldog funeral before the game, basically to say that we're going to win the game and we're killing the bulldogs. They always do something. I don't think they bury a bee because Alabama State, is they're the Hornets. I don't think they're having a bee funeral, but they're doing something that is also done in love and jest so then it becomes playful banter between a student at one school and a student at another school kind of like have you um you know about the divine nine 
Yes. And you know the shade that they throw, but it's not real shade. There is a, a point where you can you can see a Delta and an AKA um in the same room. Somebody could be bound to say, Well, everybody can't see the light. <laughs> that's them saying, Well, you know, that's cool for you, but my organization, we top tier. Mm-hmm. We talk to and not to. They don't mean that for real. They don't. They're not saying to you, "Oh, you tweak because you didn't join my organization," or "Oh, you crazy because you didn't join this organization." No, everything is always it's playful. It's just you you have to tread lightly when you're doing that because if you're not a part of the organization, then you have no grounds to stand on. And then at 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 which juncture they all gonna link up and then they coming after you. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to be careful. <laughs> But still, it like the the air about that 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 just makes it all the more great. If you remember, I'm sure I know you do. But for the listeners, if you remember, I'm going really far ahead. If you remember the Dean Kane episode <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at the football game, and at how Ron was trash talking Dominion. Now that hit a little different. And I'm not going to go too far because we still got an episode to do. Um, it hit different because of it being a black school and a white school. Yeah. But apply that concept to two different black schools. And apply um, Ron's playful demeanor to, to that. Does that not sound like the typical black family to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> does it not sound like spades at the cookout yeah does it not sound like who made the potato salad and that's the best part of an HBCU that's the best part of, of having attended and for those for or for the others having graduated yeah that was a mouthful wow <laughs> um, <laughs> oh I got a little more passionate than I expected <laughs> Well, this is, you've experienced this, so it makes sense, you know. Yeah, um, it's really, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so at this point, you know, Willie keeps talking, and then Dwayne just leaves. Um, and then um, we see Dwayne is, you know, at the basketball court again uh, to mm-hmm. meet Milton. He's a bit late, but he did some reading. Uh, he read the Penn ca- catalog and the Hillman catalog. And from mm-hmm. that, this is the stats he got. Hillman has as many PhDs as most top-rated schools, including Penn. Hmm. Uh, another fact is, over 80% of the incoming Hillman freshmen were the top third of their class. Another thing is, Kanishio's inter- internship that uh, Duane was part of last semester, he mm-hmm. got hired by the senior uh, vice president, who was a Hillman, a Hillman alum- alum. alumni. Puppy! I remember that one. <laughs> and in fact, he told him that uh, after graduation, he would be happy to give him a job and uh, pay for his grad school. So, yes, but if he had gone to another college, he might not have this opportunity, right? No. So. I, I, yeah. And, and that's another thing, too. Um, what I've noticed amongst uh, HBCU grads, a lot of. Um, their futures are tailored to them as people. And I think it's really important to have um, 
well, for one, I, I think outside of it just being totally awesome, I think that's one thing that sets apart HBCUs and PWIs. More than likely at an HBCU, you are going to have an advisor who looks like you. Mm-hmm. In which case, will have your best interests at heart. And they, it just, from what I can tell, they go above and beyond. They do a little, I, I'll, to me, they do a little more than what PWIs would do. See, PWIs, in a sense, a PWI will, so if, if, it, if an opportunity is available, it's up for grabs. And you can say to your advisor, hey, I saw that this is available. Okay, do what you need to do when you basically wait for your name to be called or wait to be picked out of the hat. Whereas at an HBCU, your advisor is going to say, what do you want to do specifically? What does that look like for you? Okay. What? Uh, and, and then... Whatever doesn't make sense, let's try to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, yeah, I heard that this is going on, but over here, like, like, or it could be, oh, okay, Kanishiwa, yeah, they offering $200,000. Woo, okay, cool. But if you come over here to Toshiba, whatever, I'm just throwing out names now. Yeah. You come over to Toshiba and yeah, you're gonna have you gonna have the money and you're gonna have the job, but here you're gonna have your own office. Uh you you're gonna have an assistant, you're gonna have food coming to your door, you're gonna have your boss consulting with you and and uh and in a year's time we're we're trying to advance you, all of that. And with all of that, you even get a remote door opener and closer. <laughs> You know, it's just they they do a lot in order to make sure that you have your full experience. They do a lot to tailor your experience to you while teaching you how to go after things for yourself and while making you a master of your craft or the craft that you're picking up. Because a lot of students also go to school with undecided majors. People, they, they give a lot of hell to people who are un, undecided. But, you know, I, I, I feel like they need to, you know, give more grades. I just, I'm going to just say, mm, so my high school had a mantra. The mantra was always more, always better, always with love. And that's how I feel HBCUs operate. Mm-hmm. They do so much more. The opportunities are so much better. And all of this, that all, all of the work that goes into it comes from love. They look uh, out for each other. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I like how at the end, Dwayne's like, but I'll, I'll be sure to keep the pen in mind, even with I'll all that. Pen in mind. Yeah. yeah no. Uh huh. Um, and, uh, you know, Milton says, you know, if you, when you end up in the real world and you need some good context, call me. And then he, um, yeah, and then Dwayne, and, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Milton, uh, need, you, like, you need to get, uh, get in touch, basically. Um, and so he leaves. And then Ron comes, and he has a poster that says, Only 168 hours until dinner, man, we deliver. And Ron, by the way, this was so quick. Um, I was not expecting this, but he wrote a proposal, found an investor who had an old-fashioned uh, ice cream cart and a portable microwave. I was like, damn, this is so quick. Yeah, because I wasn't expecting for Ron to make that turnaround either, but, but these are the roots that are being planted into the Ron that we eventually learn to love. Uh, attributes to who he is, to his, to his personality, to who Ron the character is. And so, so that made me proud of him, for one. Two, it shows that when Ron applies himself, he can get shit done. Because um, I was really proud of him with the way that he came up. Because, I mean, you know, when I heard Dinner Man, we deliver, you know, and ice cream carts. Dwayne did bring up, bring up a point. How can the ice cream truck keep food warm? I get it. Um. But Ron started somewhere. Mm -hmm. He started with a cart and a microwave. You know, it, it's just he—he he was innovative. He was—he yeah. was, and he was inspired. He—he he let Milton's uh, naysaying amp him. Yeah, he let him charge him up, and he produced. And yeah. Dwayne didn't make any rash decisions. Um, and he actually acknowledged where he was wrong and he righted that wrong. And Ron, being the understanding person that he is, he recognized that Dwayne was just doing this because of this bourgeois friend, this bourgeois brother who didn't want to be down. He recognized that that's what it was. And that speaks a lot, too. That means that he knows Dwayne's heart. I, I still would have checked Dwayne. Um, well, yeah, I guess we can say that, that Ron did check on. So yeah, Ron, Ron did this right. He handled this way more maturely mm -hmm. than I think I would have. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then that's the end of the episode. And I feel like this episode is really towards, you know, what is great with HBCU compared to mm -hmm. PWI. Like, I, I love that this is really the main subject to this episode and i um mm -hmm. i i don't really refer back to this episode many like i don't watch it as often but i re like after like really like watching it i was like oh this really is like a message saying you know HB hbcus are amazing and people should go and after this show you know there was a rise of you know a lot of students going to hbcus right there was a good mm -hmm. percentage of people so it it really uh, I think this is this episode was like the, the start of that message of saying like you should go to an HBCU over a PWI. Yeah, I I agree um, because school days. I think school days could have um, had a hand mm -hmm. with inspiring um, people to go away to an HBCU. School days was still a specific plot. And the plot was just that it, or the setting rather, was the school. A different world gave more, a closer sense of reality than school days did. School days probably alluded to the reality of going to an HBCU at the time that the movie came out. 
a different world um, kind of gave you a window into what every day at an HBCU could look like. I'm thankful for it. <laughs> I'm thankful for the production of this. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that it's gone in the direction that it has because um, I'm noticing now that a lot of people within yours and my uh, age group um, a lot of us, even if we aren't coming from HBCUs, we still just have it in us, you know, like education is, is the basis. It, like you, you gotta have something, Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can't just be out. Um, but, uh, as we are progressing in time, um, and we are move, we are, Oh, what are we doing? Um, we're bringing awareness to the black agenda when it comes to advancement. Um, and it's, and we're starting with the education system. I love it for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we had three guest stars. Uh, we had Denise uh, Nichols, or uh, sorry, Denise uh, uh, Nicholas um, as Carol. Uh, so she's guest starred on a different strokes, Benson, Two Two Seven, Amen, The Cosby Show, uh, which we've already covered the episode oh, that she was on for The Cosby Show. Oh, um, right, right, yeah, right. Uh, hanging with Mr. Cooper in the night, The Parenthood, Living Single, and uh, My Wife and Kids. So she guest starred in all those shows. Oh, you're trying to remember what episode of Living Single? Yes, Sing I'm trying to think. Yeah, I I think she's Sinclair's mom. <laughs> Oh. oh, wait, wait, no. You said she only did one episode? Uh, I don't know how many episodes, in the, but she only oh. guest starred, so she's not, like, like not in a lot of episodes. Yes, she, I want to say that she's Sinclair's mom. Oh, the one mom that's not the real mom of the actress. Right, the, right. <laughs> it's weird right. that on living... Outside of CCH Pounder, who was, who was not Erica Alexander's mom. Yeah, it's weird that two of the cast actually had their real moms as their the as their moms in the show. <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. Okay, uh, cool. Okay, and, Carol, work. And then we have um I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying this right. It starts uh W R E N. That's how, how you spell his first name. Ren. Ren. Okay, oh, Ren. Milton. <laughs> yeah, Ren um T Brown as uh, Milton. So he's mm -hmm. been in Hollywood Shuffle, Rock, uh, Waiting to Exhale, Moesha, Half and Half, The Game, Everybody Hates uh, Chris, Beyond the Lights, Dear White People, Remember Me, Mahela Jackson Story. Or, Mahalia. Mahalia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he has 88 credits to his name. So he's been still acting. Like he's Yeah, my man has been acting. He mm -hmm. uh I specifically remember a few of those roles <laughs> that you <laughs> listed. I remember him being in Moesha. Um, he played this girl's daddy that uh Dorian was messing with, and mm -hmm. they got caught in the house. He played on yes, I remember him being on half and half. He played one of DD's professors or little DD's professors. Yeah, I, I've seen seen his face in plenty of spaces, and he's one of those actors that um, that you kind of like to hate. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those actors who know how to get on your nerves, but it's really because of of how well he is at mm -hmm. his talent. 
Yeah. Um also think think about Keith David and uh Steve Harris. Those are my my top three of actors that I love to hate. <laughs> um and then the lastly of Al Fan, who was the sergeant that was bothering uh Mr. Gaines. Uh, he's been in Good Times, Roots, The Next Generation, The Jeffersons, oh. Benson, Amen, 227, What's Happening Now, Rock, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Sister, Sister, Martin. Um, and, you know, he unfortunately, and he has 114 credits to his name, but he has unfortunately has passed away um, as of October 14th, 2018. Yeah, I've seen his face in, in different things, too. Uh... Oh, I just thought about it. What? Uh, he was um, he was in another episode of A Different World. He is? Oh, I didn't know that. He's oh, in the episode where where they go uh when Kim's dad's when Kim's dad gets shot and they take her to the hospital and then when oh, they're going back to the yes. school, yeah, he's the, at the, the lunch counter. Yeah, the the cafe whatever that doesn't serve anything. Yes, yes. <laughs> And Willie was like, you left the crest on my brain. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is amazing. But they, that means they repeated his, his, uh, he he's did two different characters, which I don't like. There are many other actors that they could have found. You know what? Because they did Michael Ralph that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the worst. He's, out of all the people, he's the worst. They brought him oh, back so many God. times. He has gotten the most mileage out of all of the extras on that show. <laughs> oh, man. I would like to talk to him and ask him about how he felt. About he felt that. being different characters every episode. Because, sir, what? But, yeah, and that is the end of this episode. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram at damngirlyouknow. Um, I am now, uh, moving towards, um, not being a content creator, just being somebody who just puts stuff out there. So, um, y'all can tag me in all different types of audios and, you know, challenges and stuff. Now I'm not big, I'm not that much of a dancer. So if y'all put me in a dance challenge, I'm going to ruin it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you can follow me on TikTok at Tiny Bigs, two Ys, two Gs. Okay. But yeah, you can still follow me. You can, you know, shoot me a DM, say, hey, girl, hey, just keep it cute. Because yeah. I don't always have my sense together. <laughs> oh. Unfortunately, I have not been up to date on the Instagram for the, the podcast. But I have noticed that we've gained a lot of followers with like literally I have I, we haven't posted nothing for like months but um yeah we're up to, as I'm looking right now there's 1137 I don't know if y'all everyone's real but that is all you know like for posting Word. nothing yeah <laughs> um so just check us out at black tv shows pod at instagram um I don't really do much on the twitter so there's no point in following that but mm -hmm. um yeah and i will try to have more of um put more content on there about the you know a different world the cosby show just you know to look at like because i used to do that a lot and then i just didn't have time yeah <laughs> if you have anything about 
any feedback about talking about season three as a whole for a different worlds or season six of the Cosby Show, just send it in uh, at blacktvshowspod at gmail.com and we'll talk about it. It doesn't matter if it's not the same episode that we're talking about, but you know, it's at, as long as it's within that season or if it's about anything, because you know, earlier. Uh, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we talked about the writer strike and how in 2007 that affected the girlfriends, how it ended. Mm-hmm. And now the writer strike is back. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to last. People are thinking it might last at least three months, which that can ruin some of the current shows that are on right now. So it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah. yeah. So. And y'all attacked the human files too, because I, st- oh, I still yeah. want to do an interview with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to do it. And that's, that's somebody who I know got the knowledge. Like, yeah. if me and Miriam don't know, that's the one who know. I, yeah. I don't I don't care. I would love to do an episode with her. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so uh, thank you all for listening. I hope uh, you enjoyed the podcast. I know, as I said, we're not doing this as often as before, but, it's, you know, it, the more listeners there is, you know, because uh, currently we both are doing this uh, on our free time for free. Mm-hmm. So the more listeners we get, the more likely we can get sponsorship. So then we're able to um, post more episodes, basically. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. You know, yeah. Um, and, you know, life is still lifing, you know, so uh, just continue to, to look out for us. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to leave y'all hanging. Yeah. You know, but this economy... It's, yes. it's the inflation okay real crazy <laughs> okay. we love y'all we mean it <laughs> until the next time we'll talk to y'all on the next one bye, bye.